This is episode 67 with Elizabeth Tams, also known as Liz of Frugalwoods, an extreme saver and hiking enthusiast. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, an adventure podcast presented by REI Co-op, the brand who helps get you outside through gear, classes, and adventures. We talk to experts who have taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have climbed the tallest peaks, started thriving businesses, and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. Part of living wildly is having the means to pull it off. So we've interviewed dumpster divers and minimalists, but Elizabeth Tams, also known as Liz Frugalwoods, author of the new book, Meet the Frugalwoods, has a different story. She's a millennial who used extreme frugality with her husband to retire in their early 30s. Today, Liz is still in her early 30s. She has two daughters, including a newborn. She lives on a 60-acre homestead in Vermont, and she works on her blog, Frugalwoods, only because she wants to. She and her husband, Nate, who she met in college, did everything they thought they should as successful young American adults. They went to good state colleges, got good jobs, working at nonprofits, so not jobs on Wall Street, but they both realized there was just more to life than the daily grind of a nine to five. So rather than go out and make more money so they could spend more money, they just spent less, extremely less money to achieve financial independence in their early 30s. I heard Liz from an interview she did on NPR recently, grabbed her book, and was delighted that when asked, she agreed to share a story on this podcast. So without giving her book fully away, I asked that she read an excerpt to start us off, and then we really get into the nitty gritty of how you can start saving to live more wildly with some of her own personal stories of how she did it. Enjoy the show. We'll start with Liz, who's going to share a small paragraph from the introduction of her book. I wrote this book to tell the story of how Nate and I did the unexpected, of how we broke free. I also want to encourage you to ask yourself the questions that guided our journey. What would you do if you didn't need your paycheck? What's your passion in life? And what's stopping you from making that a reality? I fully recognize that having the ability to even ask ourselves these questions is profoundly privileged. For many people, questions like these are wholly out of reach and divorced from their daily slog of trying to make ends meet. What are you doing that you love, that you hate? How do you use your time and your money? And how do you wish you used your time and money? Bringing your hopes into alignment with your actions is my boldest edict. Awesome. So good. Liz, thank you so much. So I'd love for you to start with telling us some of the things you did to keep this dream alive for five years. Five years is a long time in your 20s. So when you got the idea to be financially independent, did you stick post-it notes with the goal over your fridge or on the mirrors? Or did you have pictures of this vision of your homestead and perfect calm all over your house? What did you do to kind of stay on track and keep this dream alive? Mostly we researched. So by researching the type of life that we wanted to live, you know, looking at available rural properties, learning as much as we could about what it means to live rurally and what it means to own a lot of land really helped bring the dream to life for us. So it was a way of feeling like we were making progress towards the dream, actually accomplishing something productive, you know, because it's valuable to learn all of this information in advance. And it also reminds 
reminded us of what we wanted to do. So it was kind of an ongoing, constant way of feeling in touch with the dream and feeling as though it really could happen for us and it really could come to fruition. And, you know, the other thing we did is just try to be really engaged and involved with hobbies that we loved. So for me, that was mostly yoga, hiking, writing, making sure that I was really active and busy and not sitting around thinking like, gosh, I really don't like how my life is going right now, but instead finding those positive outlets for my energy. Well, that's awesome. And I love, so the blog you started, how, how soon into, you know, saving did you have the blog? Well, my husband and I have always been frugal people. And so it's, we've sort of always been savers and at different rates of intensity, I would say we came out of college and didn't have any debt, which is a a really fortunate position to be in. Yeah. And so from that point, you know, we went to an inexpensive state school and we had scholarships. We worked through college and our parents helped us pay for school. And it just was not that expensive at the time. And so when we came out of school, we're very fortunate. We don't have any debt. We also don't have any money. You know, I think we had a couple hundred bucks and we had this commitment that we weren't going to go into debt. And so from the age of 22, we started saving. And, you know, at first it was like I saved $2,000 in a year on a salary of $10,000. But you lived in Brooklyn, which is like (laughs) crazy to me. I mean, I'm thinking Brooklyn, like the girls Brooklyn from the show, but I know Brooklyn was a little different. (laughs) It was more ghetto then than it's not. It was, it's not as hipster. It wasn't hipster hipster like it is now. Right. Is not as hipster. I am not as cool as the girls. Yes, you are. (laughs) But, you know, we just had that commitment to saving. And so our first major goal was to buy a house. So we started saving at 22. And by the time we were 28, we had saved up enough for a down payment. So that was, you know, I think that was six years of saving for that down payment. And that was when we bought our first home in Cambridge, Mass. And then from that point, we didn't have another sort of a next goal for our money. And that was really illuminating for me that you always need a goal for your money. You know, I think we talk about having these goals in our lives. And I think your listeners are probably very attuned to having those long-term aspirations, but make sure that your money has a plan. Because what I found is that when I did not have a really concrete plan for my money, it just started slipping through my fingers. So when I was saving for a home, I was very concerted and dedicated in my frugality, you know, because I was going to buy a home. And then after we bought that home, we didn't know what we were doing next. And that was the time when we sort of spent the most money. And after that, we had this reckoning of realizing that we weren't happy spending money. That was not something that brought us fulfillment. And that's how we hatched our plan to reach financial independence and move to the woods. So to answer your question in a roundabout way, we really had been saving for essentially since we graduated from college. So, you know, I don't want people to think that we did it in just a couple years because it was really a long term system of always spending a lot less than we earned. And you were raised with this mindset. So like, let's let's break this down. You guys didn't have jobs like real estate agents. You didn't work in finance for a big bank, but you still managed to save money. So your husband, software engineer? Right. That that's not a low paying job. It's and you, not. No. And you worked in nonprofits. Right. And so we both worked for nonprofit organizations, but we had really good salaries, you know, and we lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, New York City, uh, Washington, D.C. And so we had, 
good salaries and we just started saving ever higher percentages of those salaries. So as we got raises, you know, as we sort of moved up in the ladder, we saved more. So at instead of inflating our lifestyle to meet that salary, we really in a large part kept living at kind of a, a more base level in order to save. And we did inflate our lifestyle at certain points. And I talk about that in depth in the book because those are sort of, you know, the mistakes that we made along the way. Like, oh, <laughs> if only we hadn't, you know, spent all this money renting a nicer apartment than we needed in Washington, D.C. And if only we hadn't eaten out so much and, you know, made some other decisions that weren't so wise, we could have saved even more. But it's it's a question of, you know, what is your income? What are your expenses? And what can you do to put distance between those two things? So I really want to get into the tactics, but I want to talk about this two things. One, you're living in Cambridge. I live in San Diego. They're both pretty wealthy areas where, you know, people go to coffee shops just to meet up and hang out like every day. And, and coffee is $5 now. It, that adds up massively fast. And I'm sure your friends wanted you to go out to dinner with them, hang out. How did you kind of pull out from this sort of what everybody else was doing without being a total hermit and still having friends? Right. And it's really a conviction of knowing what you really want. So being crystal clear with yourself, where do I want to be in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years? You know, where do I see my life going when I'm 90 and I'm reflecting black on my life? what do I want to say that I've done? And in large part, how we use our money is going to dictate the type of life we have. And I think for a lot of us, you know, we don't think about the money at the outset. We're more focused on kind of those aspirations. But in many ways, money is what will allow you to pursue those dreams. So it's, you know, I don't think life is about money. But when you can get your money under control, you can have it work for you and really facilitate the type of life that you want to be living. So maybe you can start by defining what a homestead is, because I don't totally understand. Is it a home with farm and animals or just a lot of land? Also, I've always been told that if you want more stuff, just make more money and hustle more. So maybe you can tell me about this mindset instead of just saving and why you chose the latter. Sure. So picking up on that first, it is a two-part philosophy, right? Because in order to save, in order to be frugal, you do need to have income coming in. And certainly the more that you're making, uh, the more that you can save and the faster that you can reach those goals. But there are plenty of people who are making, you know, very good salaries and spending all of it. And I think during the recession, we saw a lot of examples of that, of people who were living paycheck to paycheck and not able to sort of cover themselves if they were to lose a job. And so I say it is about what you earn. Absolutely. But it's also a question of how much you're saving. And so for me, the reason why I love frugality is that you can start doing it today. You don't have to wait for a new job to start. You don't have to find a new job. You know, you don't have to uh, sort of wait for any of these other factors to come into alignment. You can start tracking your expenses today and start identifying areas where there are efficiencies to be created and where you can save more. And one of the things I also like to tell people is that when you're able to cut out an expense from your budget, you're not just saving that money for one month. You're saving it for 
every single month going forward. And if you then invest that money, you are having compounding returns on that over time. And so I think it's really powerful when you recognize, you know, saving $50, $100 more every month can have very demonstrable impacts in the long term. And it's also a question of simplifying life. You know, so for me, it, it was a decision that I don't need a lot of stuff. And I don't need to spend on things in order to be happy and that I am happiest and most fulfilled when I'm in nature, when I'm hiking, when I'm with my family, all of which is essentially free. So much is free. Hiking is free. You know, take us back to the time when you were working a full-time job and going back to grad school and you were so busy and stressed out and your husband wanted to take you on a hike. Talk to me about that. It sounds like the hike totally changed you, but you're totally annoyed. Yes, and I was super mad about going on this hike. <laughs> I'm not a person who has always loved hiking or, or even really loved nature all that much. And so I was a convert to this. He identified that I was really stressed out and I was really upset because I was doing what I thought I should do. I was doing what I thought society wanted me to do. You know, I was working in a career. I was going to graduate school full time for free because I was working full time at the university and they reimbursed me for tuition. So this is really good financially, but not really good for your work life balance because I was, you know, working all day, going to school all night and then studying. And he recognized that I needed to take a break and essentially forced me to go on this hike with him. And while we were hiking, I had this realization that everything that I was doing was not really for me, and that I wasn't really pursuing a path that was going to bring me fulfillment or contentment. And that was a hard realization. And it was another couple years before I was able to really verbalize that I wanted to leave this career track, leave the city. But being in nature planted the initial seeds of recognizing that the trappings of consumerism, the trappings of being in a hectic, fast-paced Washington, D.C. lifestyle was not for me. So then you, you wanted to live on a homestead. So what is a homestead? And, and tell us about where you live now. Yes. So we are rookie homesteaders. I always like to lead with that. This is, <laughs> you know, we are not expert homesteaders. So don't look to us for, um, you know, how to homestead 101 because we are learning as we go, um, which is what we wanted to do. You know, I think having lifelong learning enshrined in our lifestyle is so rewarding. I love that every day, Pretty much every day we have to figure out a new thing and how to do it. So for us, we live on 66 acres in rural Vermont and our land is primarily wooded. So it's um, mostly a forest and we have hiking trails that my husband has built through our land. We harvest our own timber to heat our home with. So we have a, a highly efficient energy um efficient and environmentally friendly wood stove that we heat with. So we bring in the wood off our land for that. We have a pretty big vegetable garden, which is growing every year. Uh, we're getting better. We killed a lot fewer things this past summer than the year before. <laughs> and so we're looking forward to growing even more this summer. We have fruit trees. So we have plum trees and apple trees, and we made cider from our apple trees. And uh, we have berry bushes, so we harvest the berries and preserve those as well. And in the future, we hope to have um, chickens and maybe other animals. It's kind of a slow ramp up for us. We also have a two-year-old and a one-month-old daughter. And so those are sort of our homestead animals for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
I love it. I mean, kids are expensive. So I still, I'm like a little confused because this lifestyle that you live, you know, 60 acres in Vermont, it sounds incredible. In fact, Johnny's, my partner's reading your book and all of a sudden I saw him Googling 60 acres in Maui <laughs> and what it would cost to live in Maui because we like the beach. So yeah. 60 acres on the beach would be, in my town right now, would be like $60 million. It would be insane. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. That's why we live in central Vermont. It's a lot less expensive. <laughs> so so let's talk a little bit more about this. What are some, some things you actually did and that listeners can do right now to save? Because, I mean, you sound so well-spoken in your, in your early 30s. I am. I'm 34. Is that early 30s? So it's I don't still know. early 30s, like almost mid-30s. mid. Okay, so you're in your mid-30s. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty young, though. And, and you're able to leave the job at how old? Um, I, I was 32. 32. That's pretty impressive. And you decided to have kids, which aren't cheap. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about like how you can have kids and have it be inexpensive. And maybe let's just go through some things like groceries, coffee, health insurance. Sure. So uh, I always like to say it's more expensive to have kids or pets than to not have them, but it doesn't have to cost anywhere near, you know, I think what we see as touted as what kids cost. There is a way to frugalize and create efficiencies around just about anything in life. And so first up, the first thing is that we don't pay for daycare. And for a lot of families, you know, that's an unavoidable expense and it is expensive because you want high quality care for your kids. So what I tell people who are paying for daycare right now, eventually your kid is going to go to kindergarten, right? You're going to be out of the daycare phase. So when you are no longer paying for daycare, start putting that money every month into savings, into debt repayment, into your 401k or into investments. You're already accustomed to that amount coming out of your budget every month. So see that as a boon. See it as sort of um, a bonus that you're getting every month that you can now start using really strategically. So beyond daycare, all of the stuff of kids, you know, the clothes, the car seats, the cribs, uh, the strollers, the toys, the books, we get all of that used, absolutely all of it. So most of it I get as hand-me-downs from friends who are getting rid of things. So if you're expecting a baby, talk to your friends who have older kids and just say, you know, are you getting rid of any of your kids' stuff? I'd be happy to take it off your hands. And then also source things used. So garage sales, thrift stores, Craigslist, buy and sell groups for parents on Facebook, uh, the Buy Nothing group. You can Google all of these things, and I, I highly recommend really looking for used stuff because it's so much less expensive, and kids cycle through each phase of like clothing and toys so quickly. You don't want to be buying you know $100 coats for your two-year-old because it's only going to fit for a couple months. So look for used things, and then look for free activities. There are so many free parent and me, you know, baby and me classes, groups, Um, support networks. I found them when we lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I found them in rural central Vermont. So check your libraries, hospitals, childcare centers, churches, all of these places are going to host something every week. So we have a little schedule of activities that my daughters and I go to every day. And, you know, there's a playgroup at the elementary school on Thursday mornings. So we're there. There's a playgroup at the library on Wednesdays. And then you'll make a broader network of other parent friends. 
And I also think it's important to focus on what really matters for kids. So we have 529 college saving accounts for both of our daughters because that's something that's really important to us to be able to help them out with their college expenses. You know, buying brand new toys, not a priority. Saving for college, definitely a priority. So save on the stuff that doesn't matter so that you can afford the things, you know, that really are going to matter to your family later on. Yeah. And recreation is for the most part free. I love that. So hiking is free. So oh, for yeah. For me, surfing, once you have a board and you can get to the beach, which oh, is yeah. expensive, and free. Hiking with kids is great. You know, we started hiking with our first daughter when she was two months old, month old, two months old, you know, um, get a good carrier. And now I carry my youngest one on my chest and my older child walks or get a good jogging stroller. I got an awesome jogging stroller for $5 at the thrift store. What? You want big wheels, all right? So the key in your jogging stroller, you want the biggest wheels you can find, and then you can take it on pretty much any trail, which is awesome. That's awesome. So we interviewed Hike It Baby founder Shanti Hodges. Oh, neat. Yeah, that's a great group for those of you who want to check it out. So really quickly, because I want to go through the other things, but what is the Buy Nothing group? Oh, oh, I love the Buy Nothing group. So this is an international organization that has hyper-local uh, branches. It's run through Facebook, and you join in your local community. So look up for whatever your neighborhood or town is. Probably for San Diego, I imagine there are several since it's such a big metro area. And this facilitates neighbors giving away stuff for free to neighbors. So people will post, hey, I'm getting rid of a couch. Who wants it? It's free. Come pick it up. So it's kind of like free Craigslist, but it's neighbor to neighbor contacts. And so you really get to know the people. And it's a very, I found it to be a very supportive environment. So people would post like, oh, you know, I'm I'm flying with my two-year-old. Does anyone have an umbrella stroller that I could borrow this weekend? And someone would say, oh, sure, borrow mine. And then it would turn out that, you know, someone else could then use it next. And it creates this network of bartering and trading and really helping people to not buy new stuff every time they need something. I and it's that. so great for kids stuff because, again, you're just like cycling through it at such a fast rate. Okay, so some of the harder stuff for me groceries especially because mm, we're so mm, anal mm. about eating organic and yes i'm somewhat vegan so i feel like meaning i'm a wannabe vegan i'm vegan like 98 percent <laughs> of the time but it's yeah. expensive to buy organic vegetables and the snacks that i really like that i don't need Whole so <laughs> we also do um, mostly organic foods and, you know, high quality produce and meats when we eat meat. So one of the keys is buying bulk raw ingredients. So don't buy pre-made anything, right? So make your hummus from scratch. I make my bread from scratch. You know, if you're going to buy organic carrots, buy the big old honkin' whole carrot and peel it yourself which I'm remembering I have a bunch of those I need to peel in my fridge right now, uh, you know, buy the very basest of ingredients and then cook everything from scratch because it's always going to be less expensive than the stuff that's prepackaged. So even our oatmeal, we buy the bulk raw steel cut as opposed to like the instant packages. And then we also uh, don't eat meat all the time. So we'll do sort of like 
a vegan week where we'll have chana masala or like a kale and charred stir fry. And then maybe the next week we will have, uh, you know, organic free range grass fed beef, right? But we're not eating beef every week or every night and we don't have meat all the time. So that, you know, it really helps to kind of limit your meat intake, both environmentally, health wise, but it's also just cheaper, you know, doing like a chana masala, for example, you know, get dried beans, some tomatoes, some spices, um, that can be a pretty inexpensive, healthy meal. And then also not eating out. You know, we, so my husband and I go out to dinner once a month. That's our date night. And we enjoy that. And, you know, we spend money on going out, but we don't eat out all the time. We don't buy coffees out. We don't buy beer out because that stuff really adds up. And so if you're looking at your overall budget of, you know, everything that you eat and drink, make sure that you're taking into account not just the groceries, but also the meals out, the snacks out, and always carry snacks with you. I don't know about you. I always need a snack. So I carry almonds and some fruit. Almonds are like the cheapest healthy snack that you can buy in bulk. So I always have a bag of almonds with me. (laughs) And looking for those efficiencies in what you do eat and just paying attention to ingredients and knowing what you might be able to substitute. So like getting dried beans instead of canned beans is going to save you a pretty substantial amount. Okay. So what about coffee? Like I love my fancy coffee, Oh yeah, my lattes or my flat whites or whatever I'm drinking. So we insource the coffee because I, I really love coffee as well. Um, and I am definitely been guilty of spending embarrassing amounts on a single cup of coffee. So for us, the key was to have a nice coffee experience at home. You know, we don't drink sort of pre-ground, not very high quality coffee. We get our coffee from BJ's, which is a, that's a bulk warehouse store. It's kind of like Costco. Uh, but we buy whole bean organic coffee. So it's more expensive than the cheapest ground coffee, right? But it tastes wonderful. We also have a nice kettle to heat our water to the right temperature. We have a good coffee grinder so that our beans are ground to the right groundness. (laughs) And so the coffee that we make at home is pretty good. And yeah, and and we got these uh, travel thermoses which we actually use every day now, but that was great when we were commuting into work because it's like no excuse to buy coffee. I have a thermos of coffee right here. Same thing now when we run errands, we take our thermos of coffee with us. So, you know, no excuse to to stop and buy any because you, you already have it with you. I love the soda water example. I, I don't know if oh, it's yeah. in the book or the blog, but I also like, you know, sparkling water and you found a really cheap solution. Totally. So this is an example of luxurious frugality. You know, people hear frugality and they're like, oh, no, this is going to be deprivation, miserliness. But it's not. It's all about (laughs) creating efficiencies and streamlining what you do and spending on what matters to you, you know, and just letting go of everything else and realizing that you can do things yourself for so much cheaper than you can pay other people to do it. So with that in mind, we found a way to hack our soda stream and put a 20 pound tank of CO2 um, hooked up to the soda stream. And I have the instructions for how to do this on frugalwoods.com. So you, you too can do this in your home if you'd like to. And this gives you seltzer water for pennies. You know, so this is just one example of the areas that we were able to save in. When you were a kid, did people say you're a wise soul? Because you just seem so much more <laughs> mature than most of my 34 year old <laughs> friends. I love that's because it. You, you haven't seen me in person. So. Um, so health insurance, that's the one where it's really tricky for us. You know, we, we kind of do a lot of the same things minus coffee and I spend on surfboards, but luckily we usually get deals. 
and secondhand surfboards aren't always that great, but you know, groceries, I get it. Coffee, health insurance. That's one of those things that is tough. Yeah. And, and that's again, one of those questions of needing to track your expenses and know how much it's going to cost you every month, you know, and just recognize how much you're going to need to pay because it's not as though you can eliminate everything from your budget. Right. And, you know, our, our style of frugality is not one of, pinching every penny. And so know what matters for your family, know how much your premiums are going to be. And to the best of your ability, you know, calculate that out over time so that you know, within your projections that you're safely covering what you're going to need to pay and how that might increase over the years. So people ask me, how much do I need to retire on? Right? This is like a favorite question. And it's totally dependent on what you spend. And it's completely dependent on, you know, your personal situation and the size of your family and whether or not you have children. So the first thing to do in all of this, you know, sort of overgirding all of this conversation about money is to track your expenses, to know how much you're spending and also to know exactly how much is coming in every month. So recognizing, you know, that what your salary is, that's not actually your net income. So knowing what you're making after deductions and then what you're spending. What if you're a freelancer and your income fluctuates per month? Absolutely. And that is something, you know, a situation that a lot of people find themselves in. And that comes back to always saving more than you need. So if you have that emergency fund built up, so an emergency fund is about three to six months worth of living expenses saved up that's in a checking account or a savings account, something that's easily accessible, that's going to allow you to cover your rent, your groceries, all your bills in a month where say none of your clients pay on invoices, right? So if you have a really big month, the month of March and you get paid you know, out for a bunch of different invoices, don't spend all that money in March, right? Save it forward because you know that April is going to be a much, uh, a much lower income month. And so in that way, you can kind of smooth out your income if you're always saving at a high rate and keeping your expenses low. And it's about giving yourself options. You know, the less you spend, the less money you need, so the less you need to earn, the less you need to save, and the more freedom that you ultimately have. We're going to take a quick break to hear about our sponsor of this show. And when we come back, Liz will share more tips about living frugally, plus what she gained psychologically from living with less. This episode was brought to you by REI Co-op. A brand who not only gets you the gear you need to get outside, but helps you get out there and explore. Anytime I've had a big adventure, whether it was volunteering in Costa Rica, even hiking in Yosemite, I've loaded up on gear at REI. I've always loved their inclusive approach and the fact the brand provides tons of education on and off the storefront floors. I've taken lots of classes at REI, like orienteering, rock climbing techniques, even beginning backpacking. They also have great experiences and trips like safaris to Tanzania, trekking in the Alps, backpacking trips through the Great Smoky Mountains, and so many more. I've been a member since 1996, and I'm excited to partner with them on the show this year. You can go to REI.com to check out the latest gear, classes, experiences, to find a store near you, and to read great stories about adventure and the outdoors. What I was most interested in your book is you decided to insource things like 
cutting your hair, not going to the hair salon and makeup and in doing these things, getting rid of certain things, luxuries, you sort of became more free psychologically mm -hmm. as well. Can you mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. The haircutting thing was a great example of recognizing that frugality and simplicity ultimately has all these benefits beyond saving money. So cutting your hair at home. So I cut my husband's hair. He cuts mine. We did not get divorced. So, you know, so that's horrifying. a sign for you that it totally worked out. I have a tutorial on the blog of how to do it. He even cuts layers into my hair. He's very good. Um, and so it was recognizing that I don't really care what my hair looks like. You know, I don't need super nice hair in order to feel good about myself. And here I was wasting a bunch of money on this haircut. And same goes for my husband. You know, just going to the barbershop for a buzz cut was like 20 bucks for him each time. And, you know, over time, that's thousands and thousands of dollars that we're saving. And I think it's easy with a small expense, a $20 expense like that to think, oh, it's just not a big deal. But it is because it's compounded with all these other ways that you're saving. And when you add these and stack these together, that's how you really start to get at that higher savings rate. So you're saving money cutting your own hair. You're also saving tons of time. It would take me, I would say, probably three hours to make an appointment, walk to the salon, wait, get my hair cut, walk back home, or, or take the train back home. Now it takes my husband like 13 minutes to cut my hair. So that savings on time is tremendous to me. It's also fun. Honestly, it's really fun when your partner cuts your hair because it's kind of this endearing, close, fun moment that you get to share together. It's a way that we build our skills and really empower ourselves to realize, you know, I, I really can do a lot of this stuff myself. And it's just a haircut. But it kind of opened the door for us to like, well, what else could we do ourselves that we've always thought we needed to hire someone to do? So makeup, like to, to me, yeah. that was also pretty profound. As a woman, you, you have to, you know, I, I also still believe there's, you got to look a certain way when you go to an office meeting and um, sometimes you want to wear some makeup. Yeah. And I, and there's nothing wrong with wearing makeup. For me, I realized that I'd been wearing like a lot of makeup for a lot of years because I thought I should because I wasn't confident in how I looked naturally. You know, I just did not think I looked good. And coming to terms with realizing that ultimately I wasn't happy with this sort of false presence that I was portraying through the makeup helped me to scale back and to really stop wearing it. And I do still wear makeup for special occasions, you know, for weddings, for, uh, can't think of another special occasion, but other special occasions I will wear makeup, but on a regular basis, you know, I just don't. Saves me time, saves me money, saves me stress. I don't have to worry about what my face looks like because it kind of always looks the same. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it was another point of liberation for me of really letting go of these societal expectations and instead embracing who I want to be and how I want to use my time and ultimately my energies, you know, staring into the mirror every day while I applied my makeup, that was not an exercise in confidence building for me. You know, that was just not a good way for me to start my day. And now so when I don't do that, I find that my focus turns to so many other things in my life as opposed to my appearance. I love that. So what do you spend money on? Is it travel, school? Right now it's 
really, I would say farm equipment. I just did a post on frugal was not too long ago, comparing the cost of living between urban and rural. And what we found is that living a year urbanly was actually cheaper for us than our first year on the homestead, because there are so many sort of startup costs and tools. We didn't even own a ladder before we moved out here to give you an example of we were really starting from zero. So, you know, for us buying the vegetable seeds for the garden in, in that first year and sort of uh, we needed rakes, we needed shovels and we source as much of it as we can use secondhand, um, you know, at garage sales and things like that. But that has really been kind of our major expense. But that's a question of spending on our priorities. And so I think when you look at your budget, see what you are spending the most on and ask yourself, you know, is that what matters the most to me? Is that where I want my life to be? You know, is that who I want to say that I am? So what do you use to track your expenses? Mint or a spreadsheet? So we use Personal Capital, which is a free online software program. Mint is also free. I highly recommend, you know, going with a free software program that you can input all of your different accounts into and then have that holistic picture of everything you're spending. So, you know, any software that you want to use, but there are plenty that are free. So I, I recommend starting with a free one, seeing if it works for you, and you can adjust and tweak your spreadsheet from there. Your blog has really taken off. And I imagine, you know, since the book came out, you're getting tons of letters and emails. Any stories of people who've really transformed their lives from from what they've read that you guys have done? Yes, it's it's really humbling to me. And it's really the reason why I keep writing, because I get emails and letters, actually handwritten letters from people about how I've changed their lives and how awesome. inspired they are. And, you know, it's, it's so motivating to me when people say, you know, I never realized that it was a question of understanding my priorities and understanding my money. And now, you know, I've opened up this world of options where suddenly, you know, I'm not constrained by debt or I don't feel this stress and pressure when the bills come every month because, you know, I've liberated myself from that through frugality. And that is really why I keep writing and keep doing what I do because it's, I think there is not a lot of financial education that's available to a lot of us. Um, and many of us, myself included, come into adulthood not really being sure what to do with our money and not really having a guidepost for how to use it other than just, you know, spend your money and treat yourself. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I learned. <laughs> um, so you are pretty busy. I mean, even though you quit your desk job, you are now an author, you still have this blog. So any advice on balancing, you know, being a parent with, you know, this, I'm sure you're busy with kind of newfound fame and this, this great blog of yours. Uh, if you find out the answer to that, let me know. <laughs> um, no, you know, for me, like it's, it really has become about ruthless prioritization. So the way that I use my money is I only spend on what matters most. And the way that I use my time is only on the things that matter most. So there's a lot that I don't do in a day and that I don't accomplish because I am really focused on kind of those, the highest and best uses of my time. So every day I have this list of, 
you know, things that I want to accomplish throughout the day. And what I found is that I really need to pivot from task to task. I can't write for five hours straight. Also, my kids will not let me do that. But I, you know, I'm not productive after a certain point. So don't be afraid to pivot and go put in a load of laundry or, I mean, you know, if you have to work from home or to do a little while of email, you know, kind of give yourself that brain recharge before you dig back into deep work. Um, and, I find that time constraint often means that I'm able to accomplish more because when I only have 30 minutes to accomplish something, it gets done in that time frame. Whereas if I had an hour, it would surely take me an hour to do it. And so I try and set those limits. I'll kind of, um, I actually, full disclosure, cleaned the bathroom before we got on to record this because I knew I only had 25 minutes. And so that was all the time I had. So I got it done in that time frame. And so I think if you can provide those constraints for yourself, even if it's just blocks in your calendar, or if you have children, they will 100% provide that constraint for you. Um, and sort of have your day go through focusing on those highest priorities. Liz, and I know now you have two little ones. I can hear one right now. So congratulations. Thank you. You know, how do you, any morning routines that make Liz like the most amazing Liz possible that you like to do every morning? Well, we have a set bedtime, my husband and I, and then we get up at this day, which I find is really useful for us. That's kind of thrown off with a newborn right now. But normally, you know, I find that going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time and sort of following the same pattern every morning really helps me to be more effective and efficient. And so it cuts down on the like, oh, who's getting the toddler up? Who's making the coffee? You know, those things are already predetermined and just kind of happen on autopilot. And I really like having lots of chores and tasks on autopilot, you know, so things happen kind of at the same time every week or every day. And that really ensures that stuff gets done. The boring stuff gets taken care of. And especially in a partnership, it's not kind of this big argument or conversation every day about who does what, because it's already been discussed and determined in advance. Mm, love that. And, you know, you talk a lot about this book. You start it with, it's a privilege to live this way. You know, there are people who have to be extremely frugal. I'd love for you just to talk about that for a little bit, just so listeners understand that. Absolutely. So my frugality is elective. You know, I get to choose to save money every month. And I see that as a tremendous privilege. And it really makes frugality about a gratitude mindset for me. I am so fortunate that I'm able to save. And so if you are able to save money every month, you know, I do see it as this opening to abundance and, and real thankfulness because it's not a question of being miserly or being deprived, but it's of having this ability to transform your finances. And it is a very privileged position to be in. You know, for many people, they are working multiple jobs just trying to make ends meet, you know, just trying to pay the bills that they need to pay to get by every month. And so there is this great gap and this great income inequality that we have in our country. And I'm very cognizant of how fortunate I am to be able to make these choices. And I encourage anyone who's able to also make the choice to save more, you know, to really see it as a wonderful opportunity. You know, in reading your book, there is this constant thread of gratitude. And I feel like this mindset is really what allowed you to achieve this big goal. The whole time you were thankful that you got to figure out things like hook up a you know, CO2 machine to your soda stream instead of, you know, have to do it. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think when you can see frugality as a challenge and as something that's enjoyable and it makes you more creative and innovative. And again, it's a real privilege. And so I feel very fortunate and I do see a lot of gratitude infusing my life. And it also makes me realize that I'm happier with a simpler life, you know, and I'm happier with consuming less and having less. One one of the things I noticed when I lived in Costa Rica and New Zealand was having less choice made it less confusing and made me happier. Like there wasn't a lot of toothpaste choices. There was only two. Yes. Have you found that a ton in your life? Oh, yes. Yeah. And behavioral economists have documented this. Like this is this is a research thing that these choices do not make us happy. You know, we would think that being able to choose between 50 toothpastes would be, you know, the ultimate in consumer liberation, but it really frustrates us. And we spend a lot of time trying to decide on those toothpastes. And so... In a lot of ways, simplifying, frugalizing, embracing minimalism, that's a way of saying, you know, I don't want to put my time and energy into consumer choices. I want to put my time and energy into a choice of my circumstances, of how I'm going to use my time. Hmm. Are there any other, you know, there's Mr. Money Mustache and a couple other bloggers I've seen in this space. Anybody else we should follow? Oh, yes. There are so many people writing about this. So one that I really loved is Our Next to Life. Uh, they write a lot about many of the same themes that Frugal Woods covers. Kate Flanders is a minimalist writer who I find a lot of inspiration from. Um, these are all people who have embraced this idea of simplifying and of creating a more fulfilling life. And another great resource is the mad scientist. He goes into a lot of the math behind sort of financial independence and things you can do with your budget. So I, I highly recommend that. There are many resources, you know, too many to even name them all that can really help you both with the mindset and then with the practical financial end, you know, cause it's really a two part journey. It's, it's changing how you approach consumerism and how you think about your money. And then it's also the tactical, okay, what do I actually do with my money? You know, how do I invest it? How do I save it? And then how about books? Ah, yes. So a great book is uh, Broke Millennial, Get Your Financial Life Together. This is such a great (laughs) starting point. I know. I just, I love it. She's the the author. The author, Erin Lowry, is hilarious. The The wisdom and the knowledge that she imparts is really down to earth, and it's really straightforward. So I love that book for, you know, if you're just kind of starting out and wondering, what do I do with my debt, right? What do I, how do I start my retirement savings? Pick up that book first. The next book I really recommend is The Simple Path to Wealth. That is a great companion piece to get your financial life together because it delves into investing in a really holistic, easy to understand way. It starts with, you know, what is a stock? What is the stock market? So it's a a great introduction and it gives you kind of all of the theory behind what you need to do. Um, So those two are kind of a a one-two punch, I think, in knowing where to start with your money. So we ask all of our guests this, you know, you seem like you're probably a really good kid. If you could go back and tell your 15-year-old Elizabeth self one piece of advice, what would you tell her? Oh, gosh. I think I would say don't worry so much about what other people think because that really hindered me for a long time. You know, I just did all these things that I thought I should do and that I thought were the things that were expected of me. 
but they weren't the things that made me happy or that really brought me fulfillment. So if I could say, you know, let go of all those stresses and those concerns and instead focus on where you see being able to have the greatest impact. Any gear you love. You know, this is a show sponsored by REI and a lot of our listeners are outdoor advocates. You hike, you live in the woods. I think good shoes are paramount. You know, if your feet are warm and dry, you are a happy hiker. So <laughs> what we found is that we needed insulated muck boots because the winters here, it can be negative 20, you know, and you're out there hiking and everything is warm except for your toes. That's not going to work out well. So we needed to upgrade to these insulated muck boots that have a, a really high uh, rubber base so that you're waterproof as well. And you can strap snowshoes on top of those. So making sure that you have the right boots and the right shoes is not an area to save on because, you know, you, you want to protect your feet and you want to be able to stay outside for long periods of time. So I think for us, it's all about keeping warm and dry. Oh, this has been so enjoyable. I've learned so much. Any advice, just parting words of wisdom for people who just want to live more wildly, the Liz way, the frugal woods way? I think identify where you want to be in life. Be very specific, be very bold, and then do whatever you can to get there. Get your money in order and get the way that you use your time in order and in alignment with those goals. Oh, thank you so much, Liz. This has been so amazing. Oh, thank you. Liz, thank you so much for sharing your story. You can check out her blog at frugalwoods.com and definitely go buy her book. I read the book in two days, which means it was really, really good because I'm not a fast reader and I read that fast. So thank you so much for listening to this show. Did you like it? What did you like best? What do you want more of? The best place to let me know is to actually write comments in the comment section of the website. So if you just go to wildideaswithliving.com, click on the episode and you can comment below. You can also send us comments on Instagram and you can also write reviews on iTunes. Here's one recently by The Jen Way. This is by far my favorite podcast I've found. Thank you, Jen. I love outdoor adventure stories and what I love about wild ideas worth living is that each episode is completely different and unique. She goes on and on and says she even likes the host. Thank you. And she just said, keep up the great work. It's so important to find positive stories to listen to now more than ever. I agree. Thank you. The Jen way. I really appreciate it. I don't know who you are. You guys can always email and let me know who you are that wrote a review. I totally appreciate it. Thank you also to REI for sponsoring this show. You can check them out for adventures, classes, gear, and more. Just go to REI.com. And I try not to ask for much, but since this show is free, I'd love it if you could not only write a review on iTunes, but share the show with a few friends, especially this episode, if you liked it. Wherever you are in the world, don't forget some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We have more great shows coming up. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.